Well, my message this morning is a, a different one, a unique one, and a somber one. Um, it's a message about church discipline, and specifically um, as it pertains to the Krager family, who we put under church discipline last spring and uh, continue to be a, a divisive influence in the church and a continuing challenge. So um, because of that, the elders wanted to address you about that situation and uh, to do it in uh, a serious way for two reasons. One is that it might not cause more division in the church and so to protect against further division and uh, then also um, for the good of the Craigers um, as well, which is important. Um, so we've chosen a Sunday morning message which is a pretty serious way to bring it to your um, attention. Um, this is intended definitely as an open door for um, for you to come and talk to us uh, about it. And we might be dealing with this situation for some time. So um, on the one hand, what we're telling you to do, what we're asking you to do is pretty simple. But on the other hand, um, it's difficult enough that I think it would probably benefit from a two-way conversation. And for some of you, for sure, I think that'll be necessary. So uh, feel free to talk to any of the elders at any time. The elders will be available after church uh, this morning to talk to you. But really, at any time, if you want to go away and think about it and come and talk to any of the elders, just give a call, give an email, um, any any um any time, and any of the elders would be uh, good to talk to you. Um, but we wanted to use this message as a reference point to get us all on the same page going forward in addressing this situation. We wanted you to understand this as a charge from the Lord. So I'm going to be going to Scripture to speak about this and what the Lord tells us to do as a church. Um, in this situation um, as well. Let me give just a brief history, and I think this will be a review for you, but um, Dwayne and Laura and Aaron Krager were put under church discipline in spring of last year. The reason was a years-long battle waged against the elders to, to establish their agenda for the church, and that's something that goes all the way back to COVID and um, how, how the church ought to handle COVID. Um, the elders told them that they needed to stop, told them in no uncertain terms they needed to stop advancing their agenda for the church, told them they didn't have to agree with us about the best way to handle um, COVID, but just stop trying to advance their um, agenda. They refused. They've really never stopped. And on their current tra trajectory, I think um, they're not going to stop. If anything, they're sort of escalating their efforts on that uh, same effort of pushing a, a different agenda from the one that the elders have decided. So as a last resort, after uh, actually uh, years uh, of this, after telling them that uh, what they're doing is sin and uh, needs to stop, when all other options were exhausted, um, they were put under church discipline for failure to submit to the church leadership of the elders as commanded in Scripture. Hebrews 13, 17 is uh, one place, a place where they directed at that time. Um, and also for the sin of divisiveness. And that's Titus 3, chapter, verse 10 is one of the places in Scripture um, that speaks against that sin um, as well. Since then, um, a better part of a year has passed. And the Craigers have been doing a couple of things to undermine that church discipline. One is 
presenting themselves to you as victims of an injustice and putting, being put under church discipline. And then the second one is seeking to negate the church discipline by just maintaining contacts um, with the church by letters, um, by emails, by gifts, by visits, um, etc. So it's it's become um, an ongoing challenge for um, the church. And basically my point this morning is to convince you from God's word that you need to cut off um, social ties with the Craigers until after they've made things right with the church, which is what we want, is for them to um, make things right with the church. That's the whole point of this, and then be restored to full fellowship in um, church unity. So um, it's something that you're called upon to do. I'm going to show you from Scripture how you're called upon uh, to do that. It's for a purpose. It's for a good purpose, for, and we're to follow through with that purpose and not um, give up on it. So that's going to be my basic point uh, this morning, and at the end I'll go over some more specifics um, how to, to emphasize this responsibility that you have, um, as a church member and, and as a charge from the Lord. So with that in mind, um, open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 18, and I'll read verses 15 through 20. And this is what, this is about church discipline. This is what the Lord established. He's the speaker here. If you have a red letter Bible, these uh, words will be in red because the Lord is speaking um, about the church. And um, this is what the Lord established for the purity of his church and for the good of his people, including his people when they stray. In fact, um, just right before, we won't read it, but it's the parable of the lost sheep and how Christ, you know, when one strays, the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes out and gets the one sheep that has strayed. And uh, this is uh, part of that process that the Lord himself is involved in. Um, for the purity of his church and also for the good of all of his people, including ones that stray. So uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Well, as you probably know and have heard, um, this is a biblical process of church discipline that falls into four steps. There's four steps that are outlined by um, the Lord. And so I wanted to go through just kind of a quickly a sketch of that um, process. It starts with this. If your brother sins, there's a sin issue in the church. That's what this is for. Um, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. So this is the first step. First step is personal confrontation. You hear that your brother's in sin, you have responsibility as a member of the church not to talk about him to everybody uh, around you. Hey, what should I do? Hey, could you pray about this? Um, but to, to go to him and to take him aside privately, show him his fault in private. So in, in this first step of church discipline, the approach is direct, it's private, and it's confrontational. It's a, it's a personal confrontation. And you might read that and say, um, 
boy, that is really scary to start a process like this. It's the first step. And I know the fourth one is being put out of the church. And uh, so it's scary to sort of start this process. Let me say two things uh, about that. The four steps are not steps of equal length. In other words, this is a, this is a baby step towards what could be the final outcome of um, if, if someone just persists in sin and is put out of uh, the church. At this point, the first step is really unlikely to go all the way to the fourth step of church discipline. That should be very rare. It is very rare. It's been very rare um, at this church throughout um, our history. Most often it ends here. And most often, I think this would just sound like a conversation between friends, you know, um, and maybe in the midst of talking about um, other things, you know, um, you said something here that um, is hurtful or something like this. And I, and I want to talk to you about it. And, oh, I, I, uh, I'm sorry. Or, um, oh, I, I wasn't talking about what you thought I was talking about. I was talking about something else. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm glad we, I'm glad we talked about this. So, um, this is something that should be a normal part of the church. It's not, um, something scary. In fact, this is the second thing I was going to say about it. Um, what's really scary is a church that stops doing this, that stops uh, confronting each other. And I say that's scary because then, Really small and uh, easily settled conflicts escalate until they become out of proportion. It's because they failed to do this very simple uh, thing of if your brother sins, go and show him his fault. Uh, in private, if he listens to you, you have won uh, your brother. So um, if 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 he listens to it, it's over. It's over. It's it's done. It's forgiven. I'm sorry. You know, I, I've done this or, or perhaps you were mistaken. It's over. You've won your brother. If it's a real sin... And the person is persisting in it. No, I'm going to keep on doing uh, this. And there's a second step. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So this is taking someone um, along with you. This is more serious step, um, although it still could end here and uh, be sort of not a huge uh, deal uh, here. This is a fact finding step. So and it says that. Uh, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So here it's where, what actually happened? What actually is the issue? And, the, and there's a small group of people, two or three, that are going to um, find that out. And perhaps it ends there. If the person persists in sin, real sin, that's been confirmed by two or three witnesses, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And so that's the third step. I would think at least by this step, um, elders would be involved since elders are kind of in charge of what's communicated to the whole church. They might have even been involved in the step before, um, not necessarily, uh, though. Uh, but an elder would be in charge of uh, this point to um, tell it to the church. This step is not a fact-finding step. Okay, the 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 facts of the case. Um, should have been determined in step two. Let, let every fact be confirmed by two or three witnesses. So at this point in telling the whole church, the point is not to make everybody in the church um, an arbitrator of this. Everybody weigh out and figure out who's right. Um, the point of this is the church is on the same page. And um, the, what people are to do is actually to call the person to repentance um, at this point, because it talks about that. Um, in the next, in the fourth step, it says if they, verse 17, if they refuse to listen even to the church who's calling them back, um, at this point and telling them to repent, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And that would be the fourth step where the person is put out of the church. And I want to come back to what it means to let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector because that's, um, especially relevant 
for um, our purpose this morning. So I'm going to um, return to that. So this is a, it's a biblical process. It's a process Christ laid out for the church. He specifically mentions that he knew he was leaving behind um, a church. Um, the process of four steps can be abbreviated when the sin is division. Um, and Titus 3, uh, 10, 11 talks about that or divisiveness, I should say. Titus uh, 3, verse um, 10 says, Reject a factious man, a divisive man, after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. And so the process for the sin of divisiveness is shorter, maybe for an obvious reason, um, like telling it to the whole church can be a platform for divisiveness. And so if the sin is something like adultery, that could be a helpful thing because the whole church is going to agree and um, call the person back to repentance. But if the sin is divisiveness, it's a shorter process. It's more of a danger to um, the church. And so after a first um, and second warning, the person is to be, um, is, is to be rejected in meaning uh, put out of uh, the church. And in the case that I'm talking about of the Craigers, divisiveness was one of uh, the things they were warned uh, definitely more than two times, uh, many times more than uh, two times. And were aware that the church discipline was coming um, for this. And so that was the case um, for them. Let me, let me make a couple of points um, about um, church discipline in general, and then at the end, I want to get to an explanation of what we're called upon to do um, at this point. But um, the first point I want to make about church discipline, church discipline is carried out by the church. Church discipline is carried out by the church, and that's why it's called church discipline. It's carried out by the church, the whole church, not by the elders. And um, the elders, of course, see the whole process from start to finish, um, as it is in this case, in a way that the church doesn't. And um, so the church doesn't know the whole trajectory of the whole um, situation, and, and that's just the nature of it um, whenever it happens. But when the church discipline is implemented, it's church discipline. It's carried out by the whole church. It's not just carried out by the elders. And so the church itself has responsibilities, and that's the way the Lord um, talks about it in um, Scripture. In church discipline, the church needs to act as one, and the church needs to act as a church. A church that can't carry out church discipline is not a church. Um, a church that can't carry out church discipline is a church that can't say no to anything. And so is like a is like a body without an immune system, or is like a ship without a rudder that's to be blown about by um, every wind. And so a church needs to be, if it is a church, needs to be capable of carrying out um, church uh, discipline. There's um, a difference between a group of Christian friends who like to get together and listen to good sermons, and a church. Those are not the same thing. And uh, maybe you've had an opportunity to go to a Bible conference. I've been to plenty of them. Um, maybe a big Bible conference, maybe something like the Shepherds Conference or um, the Legionnaire Conference or other uh, conferences. And you're going to hear good preaching there. In fact, I'll say this. You're going to hear better preaching there than you hear here. Um, uh, and it's nice to be in person, assembled together with other believers who believe just like you do 
and to hear God's word together, maybe sing uh, together. And there's, um, there's not just a nice feeling, but it's helpful. It's encouraging to be um, in the midst of a group like that, to look around you and see that there's other people hearing God's word and enjoying it and believing it as you're doing it uh, as well. But it's not a church. It's not a church. That's a Bible conference, but it is not a church. And so there are a number of things that you won't be doing at a Bible conference. Um, you won't be observing the Lord's Supper together. And I remember going to one Bible conference where they actually had some messages on the Lord's Supper and they made a point of the fact, um, we're going to give you some messages about observing the Lord's Supper, but we're not going to do it because we're not a church. We're a Bible conference. And I thought that was a wise thing um, for them uh, to do. Um, suffering together, rejoicing together in the the sorrows and the joys of one another is not something you do together in a, in a Bible uh, conference. When you're at a Bible conference, you're not going to be taking very great strides together to fulfill the Great Commission, the one task that the Lord has left us to do. You might, you might make a little progress on that, but what is that task? It's the task of making disciples. And uh, it's described as part of that task is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to keep all things that I commanded you. Not just teaching them what those commands are, but teaching them to keep. In other words, teaching them and then, and then trying to make sure that those things are actually happen. That's not going to happen at a, a Bible conference. And so the, the task of fulfilling the Great Commission, um, yeah, it's, it's encouraged at a Bible conference. It's done at a church. A church is what is set up uh, to, uh, to do that. And another thing that you're not going to do at a Bible conference is church discipline. And again, you might, you might actually, you might hear a message on church discipline. In fact, I think I have at uh, a Bible conference, but it's going to be in general. It's not going to be as it pertains to a person or a situation or a family. That's for a church and not for um, a Bible conference. So um, the things that I've mentioned, communion, suffering together, church discipline are all things that are done together, not by a group of Christian friends who like to get together and listen to good sermons together, as important as that uh, might be, but it's done by a group of Christians bound together in a church. And that is a specific uh, thing. And it's more than just uh, wanting to listen sermons to sermons together with uh, your friends. The Bible talks a lot about church unity church unity. That's a big emphasis of scripture. Ephesians chapter four, verse three says, strive to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And uh, the point of that church unity is not just so that we'll get along. It's not just so that uh, any problems that prevent us from being a group of Christian friends who like to listen to sermons together would be removed uh, from our, our midst. And so we could, we could do that together. The purpose of church unity is that we'd be able to function together as a church together, specifically as a church uh, together. And uh, so part of the function of a church, observing the Lord's Supper, but part of it also is church discipline. That is to happen in a church. That's the point of church unity. That's the point of striving to um, maintain the bond, not just of friendliness with each other, but of church unity with uh, one another is that we might function as a church in carrying out the Great Commission and carrying out church discipline and doing all of the functions of a church. And so there's many things that we're called to do um, as a Christian that you can't do alone and you can't even do as a group of friends who uh, like to get together and, and uh, listen to sermons as in uh, a Bible conference, but they can only be done in a church. 
So when we, when Trinity Bible Church was uh, established, it wasn't called Trinity Bible Conference. Like it's a long, permanent, uh, perpetual Bible conference. It's called Trinity Bible Church. Um, and so that means that the unity that we have together is the unity of a church. We need to preserve it in order to carry out the functions of a church. So that's my first point about church discipline. Church discipline is carried out by a church. And so when we come to um, commands that have to do with that, such as um, uh, we just read, um, if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. The you there, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector, is you as part of um, the church. Church discipline is carried out by the church. A second point about church discipline, church discipline is not evil. Church discipline is loving. If you love someone, then you discipline them or, or you're involved in discipline where it's appropriate uh, uh, for uh, them. Uh, to neglect discipline when actually discipline would be appropriate is not the loving thing to do. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8 says, if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. And that's us before the Lord. We're all partakers of his discipline or else he doesn't love us. That's the point. Um, and so we know what, what discipline is. I, I hope, uh, we're not under church discipline. I hope that's not part of, um, what's in front of us, uh, at all. Um, it's a rare, uh, thing, but we understand what discipline is. And even the process that the Lord described of sitting across the table from a friend and having them tell you you're in the wrong, that's discipline. That's part of the process and we're not strangers to it. We're all, um, partakers of it and it is loving. In fact, the unloving thing is to be, um, without uh, uh, discipline. And so the church put the Craigers under church discipline with the elders uh, leading because we care. Um, not because we have something against them, not because we hate them. Um, church discipline is about church unity. Yes, to protect against division, protect it from getting bigger, but it's also about the Craigers. It's also for their um, benefit. Um, the Craigers have a history of similar problems at other churches. So in other words, this isn't just about COVID and face masks and controversies about it. It's about the heart um, as well. And so it's for their good. Um, church discipline is um, loving. And because of that, it's something that our loving Lord is involved in. Um, uh, Matthew 18, I'll continue after this. It says, truly, I say to you, the Lord saying, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. And the things that he's talking about here are sins that are bound and loosed. And they're bound and loosed on earth through this process of uh, church discipline. And heaven honors that in some sense. And I won't, I won't go into, um, everything that that means because it's a struggle to, to, uh, figure out exactly what uh, that means, but but the Lord is in it. When when a, a gospel preaching church puts someone under church discipline, the Lord honors it. Heaven honors it. When they bind a sin and say this this sin needs to be dealt with, we're, um, heaven does too in some sense. And when it's loosed, it's over. It's done. Uh, it's over in the Lord's mind um, as well. So um, church discipline is something that church discipline of an earthly church, a gospel preaching church, is something that the Lord honors. And is in it. And if the Lord honors it and the Lord is in it, then each of us also needs to honor it and uh, to be in it um, as well. John chapter 15 
and verse 15 says, the Lord says this uh, to his disciples. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. And so when we engage in church discipline, we're not to do it simply because we're mindlessly carrying out instructions that come to us in scripture uh, because they're commanded. That is a good reason to do it. But we're also to understand what it's for. The Lord says, I'm not just going to instruct you like, like slaves, just do this. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak to you as friends. In other words, I'm going to tell you to do this. I'm going to expect obedience from you. And I'm going to also talk to you about why you're doing it. I'll also talk to you about the purpose of it. I'm going to let you in uh, on that. And the purpose of church discipline, the reason why the Lord is in it, why he commands us to do it, the purpose of church discipline is for restoration, always, is for the purpose of full restoration. And so because of that, because it's the Lord's way of um, doing that, we need to stay with it and not um, short circuit uh, the process. In other words, not say, to someone who's under church discipline, such as the Craigers, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna socialize with you anyway. I'm gonna follow your lead uh, on that because I I want to be nice to you. I'm, I'm not gonna carry out uh, the church uh, discipline. It's the same as saying to them, it doesn't bother me to not have you back as my brother or sister. Uh, let's make the most of it. Let's settle. Let's settle for something less than that, less than restoration of uh, being uh, fully back in church fellowship as a brother and sister. And that, so that's the point. That's the point of uh, the church discipline is to lose them, their fellowship for a time that we might have them back forever. That's the point of uh, the church discipline. It's for restoration. The process of church discipline is uncomfortable on both sides to those who are carrying it out. And for those who are on the receiving end of it, second Corinthians chapter three, verse 14 talks about that. Um, that it's to be implemented so those who are under church discipline might be put to shame. In other words, it's it's the the discomfort of it is to be part of um, the process of them uh, coming back, and so um, that needs to be done for the purpose of uh, restoration. Hebrews chapter twelve, verse eleven says, "All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. It's painful. Yet to those who have been trained by it." Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And that's what we want to hold out for, is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. There's an example in the New Testament of a man who was put under church discipline at the church in Corinth. And he repented. He, rep he got restored uh, at the end uh, because of the church discipline that was imposed uh, upon him. And it was a joyful thing at the end. And it, 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 this is where you got to piece together He's, Paul tells him to put him under church discipline in 1 Corinthians. And then by the time he writes 2 Corinthians, the man's repented. And so Paul says he shouldn't be under any church. Just forgive him everything. Welcome him back uh, into the family. It's all over with, he tells him in 2 uh, Corinthians. And so that's uh, the point. For example, 2 Corinthians um, uh, 5 and verse 7 says, comfort him. That's what he tells him now, because he's been he, this uh, wayward Christian. He's been brought back into the fold. Comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. There needs to be an end to it. Wherefore, I urge you, reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. Because he told them, put this man out of the church to put you to the test, to see if you're obedient in this. But it brings about a good result, the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So in this, as in all else, 
were to trust the word of God for the outcome uh, of this and not uh, make it up as we go based on what um, what feels right for us to do. We're to be informed by the word of God. Um, we sing about the church. I meant to bring a hymnal up here um, about the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. And uh, we sing also that the church is torn by schisms, rent asunder. It's um, it's harried, and and so men look at it with a scornful wonder from the outside. But soon the night of mourning shall be the day of rejoicing, or something like that. I can't quite paraphrase. But the the point is that the that the um, darkness is going to come to an end in light, and uh, so. Um, we need to trust to that. We need to, we sing it. We need to also believe it. It's hymn number 270 if you want to look at it later, but it's a, it's a wonderful way to, pre- of presenting truth that's about the church and about church unity and it's to be seen even in the process of church discipline. So church discipline is carried out by the church. That's you. Church discipline is not evil. It's not hateful. It's actually the opposite. It's actually loving because it's for the purpose of restoration and that's why the Lord himself is in it. You can't be more loving than he is. Uh, and it'd be bad to try to be more loving uh, than he is. And he honors church discipline. And so we need to um, as well. Okay. I said at the end, I would talk about specifically what we're to do from uh, the word of God. In other words, just the parts of scripture that tell how you're to relate to someone who's under church discipline. There's um, a number of scriptures. Let me show you several of them. Maybe all of them. There might be some more. Um, as well, but starting with the one we looked at, Matthew chapter um, 18, uh, verse 17, talks about someone who's put out of uh, the church for the final step of church discipline. And here's the command from the Lord. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, of all the instructions that are given and the commands that are given, I, I'll, I'll say this and I'll, I'll try to say it reverently, but um, it might be the least helpful because it's an analogy. It's an analogy that we're not even really that familiar with. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. And so this was spoken to the Lord's disciples by way of an analogy, talking to them about something that they were used to in terms of their current understanding and practice at that time. Um, and so he said, when you put somebody out of the church at the end, um, you need to relate to them the same way that you relate to a Gentile or to a tax collector. And so it's the way that the Jewish people were... Uh, used to relating to a Gentile who they considered unclean or a tax collector who they considered traitorous. And so um, that's not um, um, as specific. It's not like a instructions that are given. It's just more of an, an analogy. Um, it helps to understand what the Lord means by that by looking at how that was interpreted and carried out in the New Testament. And this is a lot more specific. So um, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 um, this is where Paul is urging the Corinthians. He's, he's giving them a message much like the one I'm giving to you, um, telling them to, um, well, he's telling them that he as the apostle is actually putting this person under church discipline and then he's telling them how to act towards, um, this, uh, person. So, um, first Corinthians five, verse two, you've become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. It's talking about somebody persisting in sin and needs to be removed uh, from, uh, the midst verse 13, but those who are outside God judges, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. So they're to be put out of the congregation. Okay. But how to treat this person, how to treat this person, um, 
Also, same chapter, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, but I did not mean with the immoral people of the world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But I, actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person. And it mentioned several sins by which somebody could be put under uh, church discipline. And it, what he's saying is you're not to associate with that person with the person who's been put under church discipline. You can't associate with sinful people in the world. You'd have to leave the world not to associate with them. So he's not talking about that. But he's saying you're not to associate with a brother who's under church discipline. Someone who's claiming to be a brother, and yet they've been put under church discipline. And so here the command's a lot more specific, not to associate. Um, literally, what it means is the word not to mix up together. It has all those words in it to mix up together, like you think of what you do to a cake uh, mix, but it refers to people interacting together socially. And so the newer translations, I think, translate it well as associate, not to associate with them. Um, the older King James Version translates this also well. You're not to company with them. To company is a verb. Um, and so that's uh, what that means. And then another um, helpful one, Second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 6. Um, where Paul is um, telling them to put people under church discipline that persist in sin. Um, it's a sin that he dealt with in the first letter, and it's still going on in the second one. And so he's telling them that they're coming to, kind of to the end of the line for dealing with this. Now we command you, brother, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life, and not according to the tradition that you received from us. So to keep away from is uh, the command that's given there. And then maybe this is the most helpful one, verse uh, 14 and 15 of the same chapter. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person, he's talking about church discipline, and do not associate with him so that he will be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. And so it's talking about a person persisting in sin, put under church discipline, don't associate with them. There's that same verb that Paul used in the other one um, as well. Don't mix up uh, together with them. Um, the King James says, have no company with them. And that's also a good um, translation so that they will be put to shame. So don't have social interaction with them. And But then it tells what you're to think about them at the time. Don't regard them as an enemy. Don't regard them uh, as an enemy, but admonish him as uh, a brother. And so you're not to associate with the person who's under church discipline. It's not totally silent though. It says admonish him, and it actually says to do that continuously. So maybe as often as you see him, uh, to uh, admonish them uh, as well, to tell them they need to get things right with um, with the church, and so all of that. So what is Scripture commanding you to do in all these passages? What are we asking you to do also as uh, the elders? Um, and so I'll try to be as specific as I can. Um, so if you see the Craigers, um, don't ignore them. Don't uh, be rude. Definitely don't. Don't be angry. There's no reason to be angry. Be pleasant. But within a short time, you need to admonish them uh, as a brother. So it can be, hello, how are you doing? But within a short time, it needs to be, I want to encourage you to make things right with the Lord and right with the church. And my relationship with you, my social relationship with you to my sadness is going to have to be put on hold until that happens, until that is um, taken care of. 
So um, that needs to be kind of the center point of your interaction with them. You need to get to it quickly, and it needs to be the end point um, as well. Um, they need to be confronted with uh, getting it right. If the Kriegers write you letters or emails or send gifts, I think you should also make it clear to them um, in the same way, I'm not going to receive these. I'm not going to receive gifts or emails or letters until things are uh, made right. All of those are forms of mixing up together, uh, just normal interactions uh, with people, but they're out of place um, when someone's under church discipline. And so um, doing those things is actually cutting the process short of church discipline that um, the Lord is actually in the midst of uh, doing for uh, a good purpose. So those things, those instructions, I hope I've shown you that um, they don't come from our minds as elders, but it comes from uh, scripture. Um, what uh, scripture is telling you to do, and we're asking you to do, um, it's hard, it's difficult. Um, we have a very strong impulse to be nice to people, and we feel that very strongly, and that's good for a, a lot of things, good for most things. I'd hate to live in a world without that. Uh, but it's not good for everything. It's not an infallible guide to how you're to interact with people. And if, even if you think about your life, um, you'll realize that's not an infallible guide. That's probably kept you from witnessing to people. Well, I want to be nice to this uh, person or saying what needs to be said uh, to someone. And so um, just being nice uh, can sometimes be a very thin veil for just seeking what's easiest for yourself, seeking the path of least resistance when we're called um, to actually love. So the infallible guide is not your uh, impulse to be nice, which is a strong one and usually a good one uh, for almost every situation. But the infallible guide is the word of God. So we need to act in love and act according to uh, the word of the Lord and trust the Lord to lead to a good uh, result. So the challenge of this um, has not gone away or become any easier. So we need to take stock. We need to redouble our efforts and do this together as a church for the good of the church and also for the good of um, the Craigers. Um, the elders have addressed this before, and I think probably not been as clear as we could have been. So Kelly's had an opportunity to address it um, when he sort of introduced it to the church, and I preached a sermon shortly after that. So if there's been any confusion over what the right thing to do in this, the elders take the blame for um, not being as clear as we could um, have been. And perhaps we do have an impulse just to be nice and not to uh, draw the line. Um, but the point is uh, moving forward. Um, the password to the Internet site is just going to be changed, um, which is just kind of a small thing, but um, just to keep the, the some of the things that are on there, such as this message that'll be put on there, it'll be under the a new password protection. So you'll get an email just changing uh, the password. So expect that uh, soon. Let me end with this just to say, none of this is a surprise to the Lord. It's not a surprise to the Lord for our lives or for the lives of our church. It's not a surprise to the Lord for the Craigers' lives. He's got a good purpose um, for their lives too, and his timing is perfect. Um, it's a difficult thing. It's an uncomfortable thing. It's good for us. It's good for the Craigers as well. And there's bigger tests coming. There's challenges uh, ahead. You look ahead to everything going on in our country. This is, it's a difficult thing. It's kind of a small thing 
compared to what uh, is is uh, could be coming uh, in the future. If you faint in the day of trouble, your strength is small. And so you need to be faithful in a little and then um, faithful in much. Um, there's bigger tests coming, and they're tests of the same kind in the sense of tests of doing something together as a church, like suffering persecution together as a church with unity uh, in the church, uh, reaching out to minister, to make disciples, even under persecution, let's say. Um, these are things that we need to be uh, ready for, that uh, something like this, although it's difficult, this is not a, a message I enjoy uh, giving, not a message you enjoy hearing, uh, probably, but uh, something as difficult as this may seem small compared to the test that the Lord has for us in the future. And I think we should dare to hope in the future for those future tests to also be standing together with the Kragers. That's the point, is for them to be brought back uh, into our fellowship, but one thing at a time. And so we just need to be faithful in a little. So let's uh, let's uh, bow in prayer. Dear Father, we do um, ask for the restoration of the Kragers. That is the point of this. And so we pray that they might be restored uh, to fellowship with us, that all this might be forgiven, uh, be restored, that our love uh, for them be reaffirmed and full fellowship be reaffirmed uh, for them. So we pray that you might grant repentance. We look at it now and we say it's just not likely according to our way of seeing, but um, we know that you're able. And so we would pray uh, for this. It would be our great joy for this. And then we pray that you uh, cause us to be faithful to the task also of implementing this church discipline, that this is part of your task, perhaps we hope of calling them back uh, to us. And we, so we pray that you'd encourage us to stay with it um, and to be faithful to you in this matter. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.